Welcome to the AdaptX podcast, where we have discussions with individuals who are building accessible businesses or products, advocating for inclusion, or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather our goal is to amplify your ideas, voice, and learn strategies to scale our impact and help other businesses become more inclusive. On today's episode, we are joined by Austin Roth. Austin, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Austin is a CrossFit athlete. Uh, that competes in national competitions and the CrossFit Games as a whole. We'll let him give you some insight into how he trains for the games and what his background is as a competitive athlete. Yeah, so um, my background is um, actually in cross country running. I did that in high school. After kind of college, I wanted to explore fitness a little bit more. I joined like a boot camp site style workouts and eventually found CrossFit. So I've been in doing CrossFit for about seven years now. Um, really enjoyed it, really just learning a lot about myself through uh, CrossFit methodologies. And then um, for the last three years, I've been competing. So um, I've done competitions like Real, the Real World Games in Wadapalooza um, the last three years and just have really enjoyed it. So, Did you have any hesitancies first? walking into a CrossFit gym or um, what kind of gave you the confidence to enter an environment like that, that you would have the ability to keep up with um, the other, with your peers and other athletes? Yeah, there was a little bit of hope with uh, some of the boot camp style classes. Um, some of the, one of the coaches was really had a background in CrossFit and did kind of both. So just through talking with him and him kind of like looking at how I move and what I can do and what I can't do. And um, kind of he suggested that it would be possible for me to do CrossFit stuff or just to go in and just see what happens, you know? So um, I really felt like it was the hardest part was just, you know, starting for me because it just seemed so intimidating. I didn't know if I could really touch a barbell, if I would get injured, like I didn't know how to move. So at first CrossFit was just very scary and very foreign and um, I think just being able to talk with him and knowing that I, I joined his CrossFit classes so knowing that he knew like how I moved a little bit beforehand really was helpful for me. Do you know what classification of cerebral palsy you have or kind of how does it present? Does it affect, is it hemiplegic? Is it diplegic? Um, it's uh, quadriplegic so it's all four limbs. Um, it's spastic mostly in nature so i get hypotonia so i have kind of more um stiff muscles kind of everywhere um but my legs are a little bit more imposed than my upper body so um that's kind of how it affects me did um did it present any grip challenges or are you able to comfortably hold barbells or dumbbells or do you have to make any modifications with the equipment yeah i don't make modifications in the equipment but i do have kind of low grip strength and an average person, so I do tend to modify workouts to to think about that and to incorporate that in the workout so I can finish the workout and grip swing wouldn't be the limiting factor. Do they allow you to use any gripping aids or um, things like that within the CrossFit competitions? Or Yeah, I think it's if you really need it, like if it's really like a safety concern, they'll let you have it, I feel, but for me, I guess I mostly work out without it, so I just haven't really used it or looked into it too much. Yeah, so it doesn't really hinder you with like pull-ups or deadlifts or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not too much. I mean, 
if it was super high reps, then it would really yeah. be taxing. But I think it hasn't been too bad. What was it like growing up with cerebral palsy? Like, how did it affect your educational experience through elementary school, middle school, high school? I think for me, um, looking back on it, the hard thing was, especially like having more of a mild form of cerebral palsy, I was um, definitely like, I wasn't like totally like unable to play with kids. Like I was, but I was always kind of like, the last to be picked for sports, so like the one that was kind of known to be like not so good at certain things. Um, and I think that for a long time just made any kind of sports or activities kind of scary and kind of like something I didn't want to do. So um, definitely growing up, I kind of had an aversion to fitness or sports in general. So um, I remember like seventh grade in PE class having to like run a mile in 12 minutes and being like worried about that and I mean of course the coach would have been like lenient for me but um you know I just had no desire to actually like do anything physical because I felt like there was a lot of like emotional kind of difficulties with kind of talking about that stuff and not feeling included or not feeling like wanted in sports settings or um, just feeling like I was kind of like not the best player kind of thing. What uh, what led you to gravitate towards cross country then? Um, it was actually a friend. He uh, he was doing it. He was like waking up at like six a.m. to to cross country before school, and um, I was like just talking with him, and he I was like maybe I'll give that a try, and it was just something that I wanted to do that like to hang out with him more, uh, and eventually like ended up really liking it, uh, finding out that. Like, I could actually, like, run for long distances, and I, I get, just seeing myself, like, my emotions and, like, my mental health improve and, like, physical health improve, and just so many benefits for it, it was, like, it just kind of got me hooked on it. Yeah, we talk about how accessibility is more than just, like, the physical environment. It's also that social-emotional component. I think that's what CrossFit does a great job of when they, they build the community and in kind of each location, and they tend to be very supportive in terms of uh, supporting all the athletes, whether they finish first or last in the workout. So that's something where like all fitness centers and all businesses can kind of learn from is how to build that community that really, uh, supports one another. And people are tend to be pretty unwavering in their love of CrossFit or their obsession with CrossFit seems to be something where they kind of been able to foster that like cult mentality where people really are passionate about the organization. So that's definitely something whether, whether you follow CrossFit methodology or not, it's definitely something you can learn from uh, as a business as a whole. But um, do you have any aspirations to continue with distance running or endurance sports? Or um, kind of. I've looked into like triathlons and thought that would be fun to kind of get my feet into a little bit. But I, I haven't done anything officially yet. But I mean, I do do some like longer distance runs on my own still. So. What was your uh, what was your educational background? So I know you went to Arizona State, which is a school that uh, that we've worked with through our AdaptX curriculum. Uh, they have a program called Devils Adapt. Were you were you a part of that, or were you familiar with that during your time on campus? Or I was not. No, I didn't know you were even doing that. Yeah, so it's I think it's relatively new, uh, where they have students that become kind of student trainers and they support individuals in the community and students on campus that have disabilities and kind of work in a one-to-one setting and it's part of their recreation uh, health and wellness 
uh, department, and it's one of the one of the groups that we're lucky to to work with. We've had some of their trainers go through our course uh, to give them some more strategies to work with different disabilities. But um, what did you go to Arizona State to study? Uh, biomedical engineering. And uh, what kind of drew you to that, or what was your uh, what was your goal with that degree? Yeah, at first it was um, kind of a combination of like me just really excelling in math in high school and really enjoying that, and kind of wanted to focus on that more, and also thinking I wanted to go to medical school, so it just kind of felt like a good fit for like people in this major kind of do kind of go both ways, so um, just thought it would be a good fit for me in deciding what I wanted to do in the future, kind of a path to both ways to well, research or engineering, mathematical type roles, or uh, medical school, whatever I decided. So. I saw a couple, were they capstone projects or thesis projects that seemed to be pretty interesting? Um, were they were they senior year? Do you want to uh, maybe talk a little bit about your thesis? Was it related to autism screening? Yeah, so I did a capstone project on like autism screening using like an iPad app, and it was just kind of a proof of concept app where um, we just kind of followed eye gaze and kind of tracked that in kind of a clinical setting. So we actually um, we never got to clinical settings. We just kind of said like, "Hey, this app could be running in the background and kind of tracing um, the the eye gaze of children, and hopefully, eventually lead to um, early diagnosis by seeing how they track it." Kind of make joint attention with kind of the doctor or not. So um, it was kind of a proof of concept that really wasn't finalized or finished, but it was kind of a senior thesis that we did. So Yeah, that tends to be the case with some capstone projects. They're more like proof of concept or feasibility types of studies, but they don't always make it to a clinical setting unless they're picked up by subsequent capstone students because there's only so much you can get done within one semester. Um, was there, I, I thought I recalled one other project you were working on or that you had listed there? Yeah, um, in my bachelor's, I, all through four years I was involved in epilepsy research, so I did some kind of EEG analysis of um, seizure activity and seizure prediction was kind of the main theme of it. Um, also diagnosing between epileptic and non-epileptic seizures using some of these methodologies. So um, kind of just advanced like signal processing of EEG to kind of further um, kind of diagnose or treat epilepsy. So, Is that something that you're still interested in or is it, are those kind of topics that you still pursue today or have you gone in a little bit of a different direction? Um, yeah, we don't really do, I don't do that research anymore. I find it interesting. I do find, um, I don't know, it's kind of like, felt kind of like we weren't making as much progress as, um, I don't know, it was hard to see us making, doing something more significant to improve that from where we were, so it kind of felt like it wasn't making a huge um, leap to kind of clinical trials, but it was, it was interesting and it was kind of a fun group to work with for for the time. What do you do for, for work now, or what does your career look like now? Yeah, uh, right now I work at UCSD, University of California, San Diego. Um, we study uh, sign language research and, and uh, functional MRI, so we do brain imaging studies. And in particular, we're looking for deaf individuals who are language deprived, so um, they kind of grow up in either other countries or places where they don't really have access to sign language. Or, 
kind of any language for like a set period of time and then um, later on um, and maybe ages like 5 to 13 they finally get the first exposure to a real language and kind of how that affects brain development and affects kind of different things in the brain and how well they can master sign language um, so it just kind of correlating the two. Are you more on the like statistician side of that or are you implementing like surveys and um, I'm definitely more on the like engineering statistician side, the functional MOI data analysis. So, it's awesome. Do you guys have a time frame for that project? I would imagine it's longitudinal in nature. That yeah, it's definitely longitudinal. We I, we don't have like a definite end date. We have a lot we could do. We could do you know, kind of go on forever. You know, right. there's a lot to do with it. So. Is there a specific technology within like the sign language and the communication space that you guys are uh, aware of or that you're kind of focusing on? I've seen some apps of, that like turn ASL into speech or vice versa, turn speech into ASL. Uh, same thing in like the visual impairment space. Um, I've met with a few different companies that have various technologies that are supposed to improve the accessibility for people who uh, have visual impairments, but there's also some mobile applications that are coming out that might do uh, stuff similarly. So are you guys using any like app or AI types of tools or is that something that's on your radar? Uh, not really, no. We're more kind of in the like education and kind of brain development. So um, we do kind of push for um, early access to language, whether that be sign or spoken, because that seems to have a real impact. There seems to be like a critical period where after a certain age of like we're guessing around like age eight or something, um, you can't really master your first language if you start learning at that age. So, um, kind of just push for educational reforms and kind of dialogues between clinicians. So, yeah, absolutely. Is that a grant funded project? Yes. Uh, well, we can transition back to the to the sports space and the uh, the fitness competition space. What's what's kind of next on the horizon for you, or um, what's next for competitions? Yes, yeah, so I have the Real World Games in December, so um, just kind of getting ready for that. Yeah. yeah. Are you um, are you friendly with Stouty, the the guy that runs it all? I am. Yeah. Yeah, he's been a yeah. he's been a wonderful resource and uh, has done a lot of good for the industry. Are you looking to be in the CrossFit adaptive space as well for their uh, competitions, or? Yeah, yeah, I've tried for it. I uh, haven't yet to make the games, but uh, they have like kind of a different classification system right. than real world, and that kind of makes it a little bit more like challenging. Except also they only take five people in the normal school division, so it's a little bit more challenging. But I've been close to getting in a, a couple of times, though. So. Yeah, I was going to ask if the new, I don't follow it too closely, but I know there was a new classification system this year, and I was going to ask if it affected your eligibility in any way, or whether, have you looked closely into it? Do you think it's kind of a net positive, or are there negative aspects to it? Yeah, um, I think it's definitely been difficult um, to kind of go from like, like a lenient kind of classification system, which is like the first two years, to kind of this more intense um, thing because you know people who were eligible are no longer eligible and that's been really hard um, also it does seem to be a little bit of confusion of you know what the terms mean like what it means 
have a significant impairment and you know some people didn't like that that they were ineligible and kind of just the way that they did it it caused a lot of confusion for a lot of people so um in some ways i think it's a net positive but i think it's i guess i say that because i it's an ongoing thing you know it's not like they did it perfectly the first time and made it great it it was a step in the right direction but they also have like i definitely still do have issues with it so yeah, it's been. I haven't followed it close enough to know all the nuances. I think it is supposed to mirror maybe the Paralympic uh, classification systems to a degree. Um, I think they base some of the decisions off of that. But it's tough to it's tough to find that balance between like creating equal competition, but also not being exclusionary in terms of who can participate and who can't. I wonder if more categories or kind of more tiers. Uh, to the competition would allow more people to participate uh, without having to like um, qualify through their classification system. It's by I know Will Wad. Some people have gravitated towards Will Wad from the CrossFit space uh, because yeah. they have more options and uh, a slightly different system. So yeah, yeah, that's one thing that I think. Um, I mean, Will Wad just has a ton of different divisions and is more open to having more people and. I think CrossFit is really trying to make it like official, like CrossFit games, like put a lot of effort and resources into this. So they just don't have the resources to make it as big as it should be. And um, I'm also on the divisional athlete committee for CrossFit. So um, I am, I do have like meetings with CrossFit at Coders and a few other people involved. So we, we do talk to some of this stuff. So I do know that. You know, in, in one sense, they are definitely committed, but they're also, in order to, like, make everyone happy, they would have to have a, add a lot more divisions, and they just don't have the resources for, or the, the not putting the effort to, you know, do all of that, which, I mean, granted, it is a lot, and the CrossFit Games is not, like, a cheap thing, so, um, you know, I do sympathize with them. What does your role on that committee look like? Are you just advising them based on your personal experience or yeah they're basically just asking for feedback so yeah. what the community is kind of feeling and kind of just express that to them so what do you think the fitness industry not specific to crossfit as a whole but what do you think the industry has to do to be more inclusive and more accessible hmm. that's a good question um I don't know, it's weird for me. I've been kind of thinking about how to put this in words, but for a long time, it took me a while to actually own up to the fact that I had a disability or like needed adaptive resources. Or, and I think I was more hesitant to some of the adaptive spaces because of this. So I think, you know, just knowing that the author is kind of like a word of mouth thing was kind of hard for me. Um, so I think just getting the information out that there are all resources available and there are all people who want to help out. It does seem like as a whole it's trending in the direction where it's become a lot more commonplace over the last few years uh, than yeah. it was when I first started um, seven or eight years ago. It seems like there's a lot more resources and a lot more organizations uh, that are coming up to support people with disabilities. We would like to see 
that they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like sometimes you'll see nonprofits that only cater to people with disabilities versus for-profit businesses that aren't inclusive. Um, whereas we'd kind of like to see like the disability and the inclusion stuff not reserved only for the nonprofit space. Um, it should be kind of a part of a business's um, typical day-to-day functioning. So that's where we like, we try to encourage and teach facilities why inclusion is beneficial, not just from like a goodwill standpoint, but also from a, a business standpoint. Um, you obviously are able to cater to a much larger market and there's been unintended consequences. We support a lot of athletes with cerebral palsy and autism and Down syndrome, but that as a in turn has kind of encouraged people with maybe less noticeable disabilities to also seek out our services because they they just assume that our gym's a more welcoming and supportive environment. So um, it would be good to kind of see fitness trend in that direction when that it is kind of for every person, uh, regardless of their ability. Um, do you have any specific opinions or feelings strongly about some of the terminology that's used in the space? Like, do you find the term disability or disabled or neurodivergent? Like, do you have specific um, like labels and stuff that you prefer to use or don't prefer to use? I know that's one of the things that sometimes people get caught up on um, when they're new to the space or when they're new to working with people with disabilities, they're afraid that they're going to speak incorrectly. Um, what advice would you give to someone who might be working with an athlete with CP for the first time uh, and that athlete's coming into their gym for an initial session? Uh, what do you think would be kind of the best approach for a personal trainer to take? Um, yeah, uh, I haven't thought too much about it, but I think one of the things is like maybe for me, especially, uh, Growing up and having a more mild case, like maybe case of super palsy that I have had an issue like calling myself a disabled person, but I do consider myself a person with a disability. So it's kind of the disabled, like being disabled, um, I don't know, I, I tend to not feel comfortable still with that terminology, but I will admit that I do have a disability, so it's, it's just kind of, I'm not sure what extent that is a me thing, but I think it's just kind of being mindful that like people are, you know, coming to terms with a disability in many different ways. And, you know, it's not just like everyone interprets it one way. It's a kind of emotional thing to kind of think about and process. And I know for me, just coming to terms with it, it was, you know, it, it did take some time. So I, I think just recognizing that it might be different for different people and people are processing it differently and growing up with it differently and they might have stuff from the past. So just recognizing there is like a mental health and emotional component to it that makes it kind of difficult to say just one thing quite all the time. So Yeah, I mean, it's that person first language, I guess, where we've, through special education stuff, we've kind of been taught that um, you use the person first language, you refer to someone as an individual with autism as opposed to an autistic individual. But then I also see from like the key stakeholders themselves, some people prefer to be referred to as an autistic individual as opposed to a person with autism. And they think it's, uh, they kind of identify with their diagnosis. So I think beyond understanding someone's diagnosis and how it might affect their functioning, we tend to not refer to it too frequently. Like if you were to join my gym, I would want to find out that you have CP, but then beyond that, 
the only thing I would care about is how that CP affects your ability to grip things, your ability to navigate the gym safely. Like once that initial meeting is conducted, the fact that you have cerebral palsy just becomes another characteristic. Um, it doesn't really define you as an athlete, how you can perform in the gym is what defines you as an athlete. So, um, so kind of going back to that question of like, if you were coming into, uh, if you were going to someone's gym for the first time, what would you, what would you want from them or kind of how would you want that first interaction to look like? Yeah, I think for me, I'd really, um, Like, I think I would hate it if they, like, kind of, like, I felt like if I bought it up and they felt, like, scared to talk about it, like, I, I would much rather, like, a coach or a person to be, like, asking questions about how that affects, how my cerebral palsy affects me, like, what I can and can't do, um, what I need to watch out for, um, kind of just have more of a, like, dialogue. I think that would really be helpful and make me more comfortable with them, knowing that the, you know, not not afraid of this stuff or not like hesitant to coach me or something because I think I think for me sometimes I can like say I have cerebral palsy and then the the coach just tries to be too hands on of like what what I should and shouldn't be doing. Um but I think it's been interesting as I've like learned more about how my cerebral palsy affects me and what, what I can do and um so just just having more of a like dialogue um, with what I want and would be nice. So. Symptomatically, what are the what are the primary ways that the CP affects um, your physical functioning? Yeah, so a little bit of like balance and coordination issues kind of all over. Um, I do get spasticity, but it's mostly when I'm tired or fatigued. So mostly my more my legs and my arms. Um, so I guess that would be kind of the main things that I would talk about is just like coordination issues or something might be hard because of that. And then, you know, just being aware of that like spasticity will show up as I get fatigued, but that, that, that's just normal for me kind of thing. Yeah, I think we, we see in the research that like stretching doesn't necessarily seem to improve spasticity. Um, whereas like, like you said, it might be more so a product of fatigue and if you can improve your fitness as a whole, then maybe you prolong the amount of time until you kind of have those spastic episodes. So um, it seems to be a case by case basis, but it's definitely not definitive in terms of how to treat spasticity outside of like Botox injections seem to be useful. Is that something you get every so often? No, I've never done Botox. You've never done Botox. That seems to be one way to uh, reduce the tone and the spasticity that's present. Have you ever used any walking aids or mobility aids, or have you always been ambulatory? Um, I've always been ambulatory. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a it's been good to kind of cover like what a personal trainer um, should focus on when they're first working with someone with a disability. Just kind of hammering home that point that it's more so the conversation that you have and understanding the individual on an individual basis as opposed to a diagnostic basis. Um, is there anything specific that you think uh, you would want personal trainers to know about CP or about adaptive fitness as a whole uh, that we haven't already covered? Or do you think we touched some of the bases that you think would uh, maybe make someone more comfortable working with adaptive athletes? Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess 
with the individual kind of mindset, just knowing that like cerebral philosophy is just so different from person to person and just plays in different ways. Um, so that's important, and also I think understanding that people's goals might look different um, from person to person. Um, I was also kind of thinking in my story, one thing that I really enjoy about CrossFit, um, or just kind of the environment, is that I've learned a lot about myself and kind of learned to take initiative of my fitness. And, you know, I could go to any class and see the workout and know kind of how I want to adapt it and modify it and change it and um, kind of feel like my input is, like, is important and like reliable and like people trust my, my decision to kind of choose the right thing so that's really cool to kind of have that in my in in kind of my crossfit environment in my in my gym um and i think that's something i really well i think like hey that was important to me and that was something that came through kind of dialoguing with coaches and kind of working and kind of thinking how different workouts affected me um, are, those, are those decisions that are those decisions that you're more so making, or that the coaches are helping you make? Um, decisions more that I'm making. So I think that's been really cool to be like, hey, I can learn to do this myself and make these decisions myself, and I don't need a coach like looking over my shoulder. So, um, you know, and that's maybe kind of a personal thing, but I think it, we coaches should be mindful that um, I don't know that individuals can be taught. Um, can be reflective, can think about how the workout went and think about how, how those people quality affected them. And um, I think taking that approach of like, hey, you know, it's not always just telling them what to do, but like telling, teaching them how to think about themselves and think about the workout. And um, teach. so uh, I guess it kind of depended on the individual what they want. But um, for me, I realized I really like that, and I think that's something that kind of drew me to CrossFit and the competitions is that I get to kind of see what I can do and learn about myself and learn what I can and can't do and focus on that. So yeah, I, I mean, really no, enjoyed that. no one knows your ability better than you do. So um, to be able to get that input from the athlete themselves is is integral, but it also might also might ease some of the concerns that coaches have, like. Um, maybe they're concerned that they're not always going to have the right answers or not always be able to support the athlete. But if they understand that it can be the athlete advocating for themselves and kind of problem solving alongside the coach, and it's not always up to the coach to have all the solutions, uh, but it's more collaborative effort, that might be more reassuring for the coaches um, that they don't have to have a significant background working with all different disabilities to be able to start accommodating some people with disabilities. So. Um, yeah. I think that that can be kind of a, a good takeaway that um, a lot of the times you're just looking for an environment where you can be supported and you can kind of challenge yourself. Um, but like you said, not everyone has the same aspirations in terms of competitive fitness. I think sometimes the narrative that um, in CrossFit is individuals with disabilities that are real high performers. And that's great. It gives gives younger individuals someone to kind of look up to, it gives them representation in the space. but I think it's important that a large percentage of individuals with disabilities aren't going to be competing in, in fitness competitions, but they still deserve the right to be able to go to a gym and improve themselves in, in kind of whatever way they want to be and uh, whatever way they want to focus on. So, uh, well, really enjoyed uh, having you, learning kind of about your experience, uh, finding ways that we can 
apply it and extrapolate it to other fitness environments. Um, appreciate uh, the time that you took today to talk with us and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about AdaptX, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptx.org. Until next Monday.